Welcome to The Edge by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hey everybody, welcome to The Edge podcast by MGR, your host David Gill here. How is everybody doing? I hope you guys all had a great week. I was very busy this week, but I'm excited to get this podcast started. On Tuesday, I uh, did a full synopsis of Netflix after their uh, bad drop in the markets and bad uh, reports. I kind of gave my personal outline strategy proposal for how they can get back on the horse of growth, the growth horse, whatever, you know what I mean. Uh, so go ahead and listen to that one if you haven't already. Um, yeah, we have lots of content going up. We're up to four podcasts a week on here now from formerly two. I've mentioned that a few times, so be sure to listen. We're on Alexa. If you don't listen to our Alexa briefings, just search MGR on Alexa. You can listen to all that. Anyways, let's get into it. Real quick, I want to say I there's a lot of like policy and like litigation news. I don't want to talk too much about that stuff because that's not really my forte, um, not my expertise, I guess. So I'm going to kind of skip over it. I will say, though, quick note, Facebook, um, you know, lots of policy changes, all of that. You know, obviously, I have to stay on top of these things. We all do as an agency because we work with Facebook a lot. But, you know, Facebook... Give us a call. I think they need some help with brand management. You know, I understand. So, you know, if you didn't hear, Zuckerberg kind of defended Holocaust deniers this week. And I get what he was saying. He was saying, hey, we don't want to be the free speech police. Like, we're a for profit organization. Like, you know, we don't want to take on this responsibility of having to decide what speech should and should not be allowed. That should be something governments decide on. And I agree. I don't think Facebook should be in charge of that, nor should they have the power to do that. Or like, you know, we, we shouldn't want them to have the power to do that, if that makes sense. But, you know, Zuck, maybe, maybe don't use Holocaust deniers as a way of framing that argument. Just an idea. I think I think there's a better approaches, and Facebook has a lot of smart people working there. And uh, Zuckerberg is, himself is a very smart guy, but man, their their PR and brand management needs some work. They just they're they're bad at it, quite honestly. So uh, you know, give us a call. You know, Facebook, we can help you out with that. We we do that pretty well. Uh, you know, mgragency.com. But anyways, let's let's get into the news. It's time for the news. All right, so I said I wasn't going to talk about regulation too much, but I have to talk about the biggest news story of the week, which was the EU fining Google for $5 billion on antitrust allegations. I'm not going to do too much on this, but I'm just going to give my quick brief uh, thoughts on it. So there's already been a lot said by people who have much more knowledge than me on this. So yeah, anyways, I'm just going to keep going. All I'll say is... Listen, $5 billion hurts Google. Google had a net income of $12 billion last year. I checked right before uh, to see. I, I I knew they were somewhere in that range. I didn't know exactly. I knew it was 10 to 15. So $12 billion was how much money they made profit-wise last year. So $5 billion hurts. I mean, that's almost half, a little under half. But if we rewind the clock back a decade and run this course again, let's be honest, Google would still make that same decision by of making Google search default on Android because they've made many tens and tens of maybe even hundreds of billions of dollars from that decision. So $5 billion hurts, but they would have done it again anyways. So I don't even know if the punishment was 
big enough. But I will say my main objection to the punishment actually comes because, listen, rulings such as these, uh, it's always easy for regulators to punish with the benefit of hindsight. And what I mean by that is that, you know, Google took a lot of large financial risks in developing and promoting Android to where it is today. They did so because the incentive to succeed was enormous. Obviously, they own the world's largest smartphone operating system, the largest platform. But again, when they set out to do so over a decade ago, they had fierce competition from Microsoft and BlackBerry and Apple. And I know Microsoft and BlackBerry, you say Windows Phone and BlackBerry, who cares about them? Yes, I know now they're dead and gone. But back then, you have to remember over 10 years ago, this BlackBerry was the biggest new company. Uh, Windows phones were very much still in play. And then obviously, Apple is the only other one who really succeeded. So there was no guarantee of success for Google and Android when they started out, especially because BlackBerry was already so huge. But they beat out Microsoft and BlackBerry by offering a far superior user experience and providing a platform for millions of developers as well to distribute their apps worldwide with comparative ease to how it was how how developers could develop on windows and blackberry if that makes sense so the net benefit of the android platform far outweighs the negative of google being able to promote their search platform unfairly over other search companies plus at that point they were already the dominant search company you know these situations are always tricky but Let's not forget that overregulation often kills innovation. And in this case, it worked out for Google. But, you know, they took big risks to make Android happen. And, you know, the world, you could argue, is a better place because Android exists, because it's a much better solution than what BlackBerry and Windows were offering. And it's the only other major solution that's besides Apple, which has their closed system. Uh, like I said, I think obviously there's other competitors, but Android is a great product. It's a great platform. And Google spent a lot of money developing it and took big risks to do so. And in this case, it worked out. But I recommend regulators heed caution and thoroughly contemplate the precedent they're setting when they take such such strong actions against companies like this. Because, you know, you if you show that, hey, even if you succeed, we're just going to fine you and regulate you to death, then it could de-incentivize companies from trying to create open source platforms like this in the future. In other Google news, their uh, long-anticipated Project Loon is finally getting started in Kenya. Uh, Project Loon, for those of you who don't know, is a uh, network of basically hot air balloons that uh, deliver internet. So instead of having you know, big towers and underground lines and all that, they throw hot air balloons into the atmosphere and they are able to wirelessly project internet down below. Uh, this is great news for the millions of people living in Kenya who currently don't have access to the internet. Um, basically, by using these balloons, they're able to save a lot of money. They don't have to uh, spend so much on the infrastructure that is required for the internet that you have in modern places, especially in underdeveloped and rural areas, it becomes economically feasible. It's just not, it doesn't make financial sense for a local company. In this case, they're partnering with Kenya Telecom or Telecom Kenya. Yeah, Telecom Kenya um, for them to say, 
dig a huge trench for an internet line to go to one house or one little village that's miles away from a city. That costs millions and millions and millions of dollars, and that city or little village is only going to be able to pay a very small amount of money. So Project Loon takes that cost out of the equation. So if this deployment in Kenya is successful, it's very likely the Project Loon will spread across Africa and other places in the world that don't currently have an internet infrastructure, which is very good. They're going to bring millions of people online. Now, here's the question. Kind of back to this litigation that I just talked about in the EU. Say Google decides, okay, for all the Project Loon users, the only thing we ask or the only thing that we're going to do is make Google.com the default homepage for everyone who uses the internet using Project Loon. Would that be a bad thing? Uh, could this turn into another hindsight wrongdoing in 10 years where regulators ignore all of the financial risks that Google is undertaking right now to bring internet to Kenya and other places, right? Does the benefit of bringing millions of people online outweigh the cost of Google making Google.com the default uh, homepage for everyone on it? I would say yes by a long shot, but we'll see how this plays out. Obviously, this is a decades-long thing, but you know, if if what it takes is Google to incentivize Google is, hey, okay, you can make Google.com the homepage but millions of people who don't currently have access to the internet now have access, I'd say that's very much worth it. And I'd say I very much would encourage Google to do so. Maybe you have a different view. Let me know what you think. But uh, this, these are the cases of a hindsight that I talk about where Google's taking these big risks just like they did with Android. And if it succeeds, it's great. But then they could get massive fines and people say, oh, how dare you make Google the homepage? And if it fails, well, then... Google loses a ton of money. It's almost like a lose-lose if they end up getting fined again for trying to help people in underdeveloped areas. But anyways, we'll see. All right, let's talk about the the media wars. One of my favorite topics. I talk about this a lot because I think the media industry is fascinating. But uh, Comcast officially waved the white flag of surrender to Disney in their bidding war for 21st Century Fox. It was kind of expected, but uh, they finally said, "Hey, all right, we give up Disney." You can take it. But they're not giving up on Sky. Sky is one of the biggest broadcasters in Europe. They have over 22 million paid subscribers. Prior to the Disney acquisition, Fox was actually trying to acquire Sky. They made a bid. But then Comcast has since outbid Fox. If Fox were to succeed in acquiring Sky, then Disney would also own Sky, further expanding their media dominance. Comcast is not going to make that easy, and they're currently the highest bidder. This is really a decision for Disney of whether or not they want to spend over $100 billion in acquisitions, because that's what's going to cost between Fox and Sky if they acquire them both. Uh, I don't know that this is something Disney should go for. Yes, Sky has a lot of reach in Europe, but Disney shouldn't have a problem reaching European customers once they launch their own streaming service. I mean, obviously, they already have massive reach in Europe, but... You know, I don't know how much more it extends their reach. The only real major asset in the deal, I mean, I sh there's a lot of assets, but the, the, one of the biggest ones is Sky Sports, which owns the rights to a lot of valuable sports properties and licenses in Europe. But I don't think Sky is a major prerogative for Disney. I think it's more of an icing on top of the cake asset for them. I'm sure they will pursue it, but if Comcast 
really bids for it, I don't expect expect Disney to fight hard if Comcast keeps raising the price and raising the bid. I think Disney might just say, okay, you can have it. We're not going to be spending over $100 billion in a single year on acquisitions. We'll see. I don't think Disney should be super duper aggressive for it. If they can get it for a reasonable price, go for it. But if it gets too expensive, let, let Comcast have it. I don't think it's quite worth it. To continue on the uh, Disney train real quick, they made waves this week announcing that new content will be exclusive to their streaming uh, platform. They announced well, the biggest one was basically uh, Star Wars, the Clone Wars TV show, which was a very popular uh, TV show back a few years ago. Upon releasing their trailer for the the comeback of this show, it was the number one trending video on YouTube two days ago, and it got over four million views in four hours or in twenty four hours, I believe. Uh, which you know it it incited excitement in Star Wars fans everywhere, just like myself. But uh, this is one of the new one of the many new exclusive titles that Disney's bring to their streaming platform. And as I've said, I predict this platform will be a wild success for Disney and will have millions of subscribers because, as you can see, the hype for it is building already, and it still will not come out probably in 2018. It's probably at least another six months, six to twelve. Who knows? I, they haven't given a timeline, but it's, it's probably not going to come out till 2019 and they already have people saying yes give me this streaming platform now all right another quick uh side note on the media wars before i move on go 90 verizon's uh streaming service competitor media platform whatever you want to call it is officially dead it's not on the app store anymore they closed it down they gave up they said we don't care they actually uh released the licenses for a lot of the content on the go 90 platform basically giving it back to the creator saying we don't even care that we paid you for these licenses you can do whatever you want with the content which you know go 90 was supposed to be this big competitor for uh netflix and at&t and direct tv and even disney and it failed. So that's one less competitor for in this media space. Clearly, it's not just a matter of throwing money at things because Verizon certainly threw a lot of money at Go90, which is why they gave up because they just were not getting the numbers, the users, the viewership, anything that they wanted. They even enticed people with Verizon plans. I know it because I'm on Verizon myself to get the Go90 app and watch it, and they just... Uh, they just failed, quite frankly, and obviously they decided to shut it down. They were spending too much money on it. It'll be interesting to see how they move forward. Obviously, they spent a ton of money acquiring AOL and Yahoo, not what you would consider uh, on the edge, not, <laughs> no pun intended, but on the edge uh, media companies. Again, I don't know what Verizon's plan here is. They kind of just gave up on Go90, which was their biggest play. They spent what 30 plus billion acquiring AOL and Yahoo I don't know we'll see what their future is but clearly it hasn't been working out and clearly it's not just a the media wars are not just a throw money at the thing you actually have to know what you're doing and be good so anyways rest in peace go 90 all right quick side story that I don't think is a very big deal but I wanted to just comment on it Samsung has a new bendy phone coming out next year they announced that they're going to release a phone that will be able to fold in half like without hinges or anything just the glass and the internals will be flexible basically uh, I'm sure this is gonna be cool and novel but my question is why you know what's the actual utility of this because 
Phones are constantly getting thinner and smaller and lighter, and the last thing I want is to have this thing that is like fat and folded up in my fo- in my pocket like a wallet. To me, it sounds more like a gimmick than anything else, and I don't know that people are really going to race to go buy a Samsung phone just because it can fold in half. Like, I think it'll be novel and cool to see the glass bend and all of that, but I... I don't see the real utility of it, if that makes sense. I don't know. Anyways, maybe I'm wrong, but just just had to mention that. All right, next up is a quick uh, discussion on Roku. So Roku, in my opinion, or not in my opinion, but uh, from what I've seen from their strategy and what it looks like they're doing is they are trying to become the Windows, like Microsoft back in the 90s, of TVs. One in four TVs sold in the U.S. in the first quarter are, or in, and, this year so far have been Roku enabled TV. So that's pretty impressive. Roku has an interesting business strategy though, because it's going to end up being a wild success or end in complete bankruptcy. I don't think there's really a middle ground in sight. They sell their Roku boxes at a break even or even at a loss at a very high volume. You know, this is so they can get as many users on the Roku platform as possible. On top of that, as I said, one in four TVs now come in with uh, Roku built in. So they're getting tons and tons of users and they're getting them because uh, TV manufacturers like TCL, Sharp, Philips, and others have partnerships to build Roku within the TVs. The reason these manufacturers go with Roku is because it saves them time and development costs so they don't have to create their own OS. They can just license or, you know, uh, outsource that task out to Roku. In the very same way that Dell or HP don't make their own OS, they load up Windows onto their computer. So that's what I mean when Roku's taking the Microsoft approach. They're trying to be the Windows of TVs. Roku is actually able to make money by then serving ads and placing content in front of Roku users. Like I said, they need to do this because they don't make money selling their hardware, they lose money selling their hardware. So that trend has to continue. Roku's business plan is pretty simple. Create the best operating system, the OS for TVs, get that OS into as many people's homes as possible, and then serve targeted ads to that user base. You know, TV commercial spending is dropping year over year. It's continuing to drop because obviously, one, people don't really pay attention to commercials, and two, there's lots of cord cutting, so very few, for fewer and fewer people actually even watch traditional cable TV. Roku is trying to get all of those advertisers who used to spend a lot of money on TV commercials and ads and to buy ads on their platform instead. They're basically saying, hey, all those people who used to watch cable now have Rokus, so if you want to reach those people, you're going to have to pay us instead of the TV networks. That's their whole plan. Roku has some tough obstacles ahead of them, though. They're not profitable yet. They're, they base, they're very close to break-even. They, they lose very little money now, but they're basically a break-even company at this point. Um, but they have a lot of obstacles because, for one, they're competing with Amazon, Google, Apple, and a few others in selling their hardware boxes and in the licensing agreement with TV manufacturers. You know, Amazon actually stole away the Insignia agreement. Insignia is Best Buy's, uh, you know, TV brand, and they sell tons of Insignia TVs because they're cheaper than the traditional, you know, big brands. And so those those TVs used to be Roku TVs. Those are now Amazon Prime TVs. And also, Google partnered with Sony over a year ago. So all Sony TVs are Android uh TV OS TVs, and Apple is still selling millions of Apple TVs. So 
lots of competition here. And these are all companies that can outspend Roku in terms of marketing dollars. And they can also outlose Roku in terms of selling products at a loss to get boxes in the home, especially Google and Amazon are very much willing to do that. Apple will not do that. Apple doesn't lose money on hardware. But Google and Amazon very much willing to do that. They're already doing that with their voice assistants. They will do that with their TV boxes as well. But this is also, you know, not even mentioning that the fact that hardware boxes, the things that you connect into the TV to make them a smart TV, the sales of those are going to drop over time because now most TVs already come with an operating system. Most TVs are now smart TVs, and so people are already able to watch Netflix and Hulu and HBO on them without needing an external box. And because of that, partnerships with manufacturers have become much more important and will continue to be very important. If Roku keeps losing out on major partnerships like the one with Best Buy, then it's going to definitely hurt them. That's why what they have to do is make the, their integration and OS the easiest for manufacturers. They they do this by doing everything for them. They already do this. They know this. But the only other way Roku is going to be able to retain and grow their user base is by having such a good operating system that users will actively go out and buy Roku boxes instead of using the default operating system that comes with their TV. Now, both of those things are kind of unlikely to happen because Android and Prime TVs, OSs, are improving a lot and they're going to be better. They're going to be, or at least very close to being as good as Roku, and it's not going to be worth it for someone to go out and spend $40 on a Roku TV because it's going to be 10% better than the one that comes default with their TV now. And as I said, with the partnerships with TV manufacturers are going to be super important because if they can make it as frictionless as possible to load up the Roku OS or even pay these companies to load up the Roku OS into their TVs, then they will be able to retain users. But if they can't do that, then they're going to lose their user base. Roku has a lot of obstacles coming at them from all angles. If they do succeed in becoming the preferred operating system of customers, and the preferred operating system of TV manufacturers, then the company could be worth many, many, many billions of dollars. Unfortunately, the alternative is getting pushed out of the market completely by their comp behemoth competitors and falling to zero. Listen, I've used Roku TVs and Roku OS. It's great. I think their platform is great, and I wish them all the best. I just don't know that their platform is differentiated enough and better so much better than Amazon and Google that they're going to be able to outcompete them. It's a tough battle ahead of them. I wish them all the best. Their platform is very good, but yeah, good luck. All right, the final story I want to talk about today is a new investor-safe decentralized stock exchange is being created. The European country of Malta is partnering with New Fund, a decentralized crypto asset exchange, to make the Malta Stock Exchange, the MSX, kind of like the NYSE uh, of the U.S., have security tokens trade alongside traditional assets. Um, I dedicated an entire episode to the importance of potential blockchain exchanges in a podcast last week, so this is very well-timed news. Uh, go listen to that one. It's called Security Tokens Will Rip Apart the Finance World. Just scroll back in the podcast feed a couple episodes if you want to listen to that. It's a good one. Spent a lot of time making that one. Um, but I talked about in that episode that both NASDAQ and the Australian Stock Exchange 
have both seriously considered and seriously discussed implementing and creating security token exchanges, but Malta is actually taking the initiative and doing it. I think this is very smart on the part of the Malta. Malt Maltesian? Is it Maltesian? I think it's Maltesian. Maltesian government, we'll go with that, uh, because they know that they can bring in startups and other companies into Malta. They can bring in tax dollars. They can bring in money into their economy by having the world's first uh, security token exchange. The importance of this is bringing regulation and security into the crypto world, which is one of the biggest obstacles currently holding it back. If this program is successful, I would expect many other companies, or I'm sorry, many other countries to follow suit and billions of institutional investor dollars to come flooding in. Again, I had a whole episode on this last week, so if you want to really understand why this is so important, I strongly recommend that you listen to it. Anyways, guys, that's it for this week. If you did enjoy this episode, please share it with just one person who you think would also enjoy it. I will see you guys back here on Tuesday when my next episode comes out. But before that, Marissa has hers coming out on Monday, so be sure to stay tuned for all of that. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.